Welcome to Founders First, a show about mental health and entrepreneurship and how to build resilience to stay stronger, happier, and be more successful. You can engage more in the conversation by going to the App Store on your phone and searching Founders First Community. Today, we have the privilege of speaking with a true leader, both as an entrepreneur and a thought leader at the intersection of psychology, mental health, diversity, equity, and inclusion. She has over 23 years of experience in the field of mental health and is the founder and CEO of InnoPsych, an award-winning startup dedicated to changing the face of therapy for people of color. Most recently, she's used her experience to advise companies on how to respond to the COVID and racial violence crises. And as such, she's a sought after guest for media outlets nationwide. Today we're speaking with Dr. Charmaine Jackman. First, uh, I want to ask you a question, uh, a little bit about your your own journey. Based on your own experiences, you identified a need in the field of mental health. You made it your mission to fill that need, and you became an entrepreneur in the process. Can you tell us about the personal experience that led you to start InnoPsych and the work that InnoPsych does? Sure, and I'm going to have to take it back to my mom because... She was my first entrepreneur and later learned that my grandmother was also an entrepreneur. So my mom um, worked a full-time job selling insurance and then started selling Avon products and other cosmetics and home care products on the side. Mm -hmm. I grew up in Barbados. So she was this innovative model, um, you know, putting things in her car and driving around to different workplaces during her, you know, lunchtime and then after work. So I saw her grind. Um, and so, you know, around 15 or so, I knew I wanted to become a psychologist. Mm-hmm. Having never actually met one in real life, except for Bob Newhart, who was one of my favorite TV show psychologists at the time. Um, so, but it's later on in that journey, actually through the process. And I actually knew like in college, in high school, again, I want to be a psychologist, going to open my own business. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually end up majoring, double majoring in psychology and, and business um, in college. But the process of graduate school actually did not prepare me to be an entrepreneur, to be a business owner. And so I remember coming out of, of grad school and thinking, oh, I don't want to own my own practice anymore. I'm just going to go work for someone. Mm-hmm. And it really kind of, that took, uh, you know, I'm still kind of balancing that life, you know, being, um, working for, um, a company and also having my private practice. Um, but around, I would say maybe about three years ago, I was going through a difficult time in my life and I was looking for a therapist. And I had also been at the point where I was trying to think about how can I work smarter, not harder, right? Like I needed a job that I didn't have to be on all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I was, you know, trying to brainstorm different ways. I had had a private practice for only over 15 years, along with a full-time job. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was feeling a little burnt out, to be honest, Mm -hmm. um, and kind of managing all those different tasks and being a new mom. 
so I'm like, okay, so maybe I can think about, I can leverage this into some kind of business. And again, around about three years ago, I was looking for a therapist and I had the hardest time. I particularly wanted a black woman therapist. It was clear about what I wanted in that space. And I couldn't find one. I went on one of the major, you know, therapist finder um, platforms. And I would get all kind of people, but the people I was actually looking for. So I'm like, this is, this is really hard. This is challenging. I'm a therapist and this process is overwhelming. It's frustrating and I can't really connect. Literally, it took me over six months to find a family therapist. And she wasn't a, a, she wasn't a woman of color, but it was fine. And then it took another nine months to actually connect with a, a black woman therapist. So, you know, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a counselor. So, you know, I had some resources. I tapped into my own network for support, but I just emit, envision like if someone at a hard time, particularly when we think about communities of color, mm-hmm. going to therapy is not the first thing that comes to mind, right? If you're having a challenge, we're not going to say, oh, therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I put the things together. Challenging time. You're looking for a therapist that understands your background and it's going to take over six months to find like that is not okay. Yeah. And so that's how the idea for Inner Psych was born. Yeah. Yeah. I found in my experience as an entrepreneur, it's been certainly other entrepreneurs didn't talk about like, you know, you should think about partnering with a therapist, right? Or you should think about <laughs> hiring a therapist to, to help you in these tough times. I think the, the solution was like, let's all go get a beer and then have some shots afterwards and maybe we'll feel better. Like that was, that was kind of like the entrepreneurial answer to, to stress. Um, mm-hmm. I, I imagine that, um, that, that so many entrepreneurs out there have, have seen this challenge of like, it, it's not, it's not the obvious next step. It's, it's not the obvious next path. And, and, myself, you know, I, I kind of went through a network the first time I worked with a, a psychologist and I was lucky enough that my uh, my CFO in my business, which you kind of think of like a traditional suit and tie sort of financial executive, um, he on on the side was getting a master's degree in uh, in psychology from Emory online oh. while also working wow. at my company. And so he was like <laughs> the only person I knew at the intersection of, of business and you know, kind of therapy. He was doing it kind of for a family practice uh, reason that he wanted to go into. Um, so I, I think that's really, really fascinating. It is, it is challenging. I've seen as an entrepreneur to find um, the find therapists that that are right for us and in, in our backgrounds. Right. Yeah. Right. So w- one of the things you talk about in your work is the stigma surrounding mental health and how hard it is for many people to seek help when they need it. There's an increasing amount of attention focused on it, and it's arguably now one of a number of issues regularly discussed at the national level. You've been in this field of mental health for over 20 years, so you've got this perspective on how things may have changed over Mm -hmm. time. So I'm curious, is the stigma surrounding mental health actually getting better? And if not, what what are the things that are in our way? Yeah, I, I think overall it's getting better, but I think there's still some generational differences. So if I think about people my parents' age, eh, not so much, right? Um, but I definitely see my, you know, my generation and definitely the younger generation, the next generation coming up, um, millennials, I would say, uh, tend are more open to therapy or more like that's part of their, they have a language about self-care and, you know, taking care of themselves and mental health. They like, this is a language that they're comfortable with. Yeah. Um, so I definitely see that difference. 
Um, I have definitely seen, um, and you see it in social media, right? There's, you know, the whole wellness and self-care, self-help um, industry has really, really ballooned in, the, I would say, probably the last three to five years. So definitely making it more open and, and more feasible for people to engage and talk about therapy and talk about their struggles. Yeah. Um, I definitely still see, um, you know, one of the things within communities of color, though, there's that, there's that other bias that comes with that stigma. Um, and I think part of that surrounds, right, therapy not really centering the experiences of people of color, Black, Indigenous, and other people of color into the frameworks and the way that therapy actually rolls out. Mm. You know, the whole idea of talk therapy, like, you know, you don't go to someone and just tell all your business <laughs> like that, right? That's not how you were raised. So it's like you're kind of fighting some of the cultural mm. Mm-hmm. narratives that you that you grew up with so that those are some of the things that get in the way um i have seen like with covid like as we say mental health is really taken a front seat in conversations and people are really talking about the mental health i mean like the social isolation the grief like there's so much conversation and support that's out there so i see people tapping into it more and i think it's also i think the mental health industry is really trying to um think about the models, right? And how do, how are they tapping into different communities of color? Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing again more as more therapists of color enter the field. They're also able to translate and kind of adapt some of the traditional therapies into things that actually work for our communities. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the things that I've seen. Um, and really, you know, I think it is exciting. The technology aspects of some of the mental health apps, really having different ways for people to access mental health and maybe not some ways that were historically available, right? Before it was like talk therapy and that was it. Now they're more body-based therapies. People are tapping into yoga and seeing yoga as a way to also kind of tap into your physical and your mental health. So I think being able, having a, that mindset and that perspective um, kind of loosening like what therapy or what taking care of yourself looks like, the more that we can expand that definition, I think people are more able to access different services. Yeah, it's interesting when you think about the the kind of change in the last 10 years where, you know, as a society, maybe we didn't share a lot of those uncomfortable things with each other. And then kind of social media comes along and we share right. everything else on social media. Right. <laughs> Certainly people in younger generations, right, share just absolutely things that probably make some of us cringe. Right. A little too it, much. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I remember a couple of years ago, the kind of first discussion of when employers could start to look at social media public profiles to understand what people were like. Um, and that kind of being a thing. And it was like, oh, wow, like maybe maybe we should think a little bit ahead to to what's going to be out there. I think that's interesting. Now, like with that change, you know, we have we have therapy over text messaging now or messaging Mm -hmm. through, you know, private secure apps, which is which is completely different. One of the things we've seen, you know, you mentioned millennials being more open to this. is is folks that are in our programs at Founders First that are in college or they're thinking about starting a business, mm-hmm. some folks in the younger generation, um, they're actually worried about their mental health if they start a business. So right. they've, they've gotten this message or they've just looked at a lot of the public entrepreneur figures out there and, and looked at them and said, well, maybe they're not as maybe not as healthy as I want to be in, in you know, the next 10 years of my life. We're seeing that as, as like a fear. Like, I don't want to start a company um, mm-hmm. unless I can get some sort of confidence that that, that I'm not going to, you know, completely ruin my mental health and wellness. Right. 
Right. Yeah, that's true. And I, you know, I think we can't, we have some of the kind of maybe the stereotypical images of what an entrepreneur is, and it's often that grind, right? Mm-hmm. Often that like you're the, maybe the breadwinner for your family and it's like do or die. And, you know, even in my own journey, like I'm, you know, I'm consistently reevaluating what that looks like for me, but it's like, you know, you want to be successful and like, you feel like every hour, every minute counts and it's mm-hmm. money, you know, like we kind of time or every minute. And so there can be a lot of stress that you add on. Um, and for me, I'm like noticing and realizing and what I talk about with clients is like, sometimes we think like taking a step back, like we feel like we're going to lose something, but we actually can gain so much when we step away from the problem, we're able to think more creatively. Like if we, we take that, you know, take a nap or, you know, go to bed at, at a decent hour, like it actually helps us to wake up with more focus and more energy and, and a better way of looking at the problem. But I think in the moment, if you are on that kind of that train, like it's really hard to get off. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, think about like those, those kind of business idols or just people around us. We grew up with that, that were business people. You talked about your mom's story of, you know, loading all the gear in the car and taking it around and, and having conversations with people to sell. Right. Um, mm-hmm. my, my wife and I were having this conversation a few weeks ago. She grew up in a small, a very small town in, in North Carolina. And um, her dad owned a small auto parts store that eventually was taken over by the big chains when they came in. Um, but this conversation was just within the last week where we were talking about we we both have the amazing gift of being able to take our kids to school together in the morning and it's just such a rare thing that I didn't have as a kid either my dad was off to to work as a professor but she said she said to me well I never saw my dad in the mornings at all and and I was like why like and she said no he got up at 5 30 and went into work like we never saw him until the end of the day and he would come home completely exhausted and fall asleep you know sometimes in the living room in front of the television and he would do it again the next day and that was that was the vision of what an entrepreneur does at least in her mind as a child growing up yeah Right. Yeah. And when we have those images, again, I, I share my story and I talk to my mom openly about it. It's like we, we kind of, again, if you don't have anything to correct that, that's what you think you do when you yeah. enter a business. That's how, that's how you work. That's how you work your business. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and if you look at the entrepreneurial hype machine in general out there and go to, especially in like the tech industry conferences, right? Yes. Gonna, it's all about hustle and persistence and grit and never giving up. And, and that's like with no right. realization that we might be banging our heads against a wall and absolutely destroying ourselves and everything around us with this, you know, endless persistence. Right. I, I think right. maybe one of the hardest decisions to make as an entrepreneur is when to stop being persistent and do something else or, or just stop, you know, go, go get a job that pays the bills and, and go to work at nine instead of five. maybe. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So true. So, so many of our members have you know, taken this leap that we're talking about of acknowledging that there's times when they need help, uh, when they need support, sometimes from peers or loved ones, sometimes from professional therapists. But most entrepreneurs still find it very challenging to look for help, often because we feel we have to project success all the time. Right? Mm-hmm. We're always kind of mm-hmm. selling in every conversation. So many of us have maybe even had to like convince our our spouse or partner that you know <laughs> this is a good investment. I promise. You know we should mortgage the house and go after this. And we don't always want to have to say you know it's all about to fall apart next week. Right. So, so you're you're an entrepreneur. You you understand the roller coaster that entrepreneurship can be. And and as a therapist, you've got a clinical understanding of of when and why people might need help. So what do you think about? 
the pressures and uncertainty of entrepreneurship set us up for these greater mental health challenges? And it's like, is there a way to be prepared if we're maybe even thinking one of these millennials that's, you know, coming out of school or, you know, in their first <laughs> career job and it's like, I want to become an entrepreneur, but I'm scared that it's going to destroy my health. Right. And I, you know, again, I, I go back to that generational piece that you're highlighting as well mm-hmm. in that, you know, again, when, when I grew up, like therapy was not really a thing, right. People did not talk about going to, going to therapy, did not, we did not talk about mental health. So like that was not something that was prioritized. Um, and, you know, for some of us, we've had to learn the hard way, right. Um, kind of, you know, going through and really developing those habits that really impacted our mental health. And then going into recovery and hopefully coming out of that with a new vision of what your entrepreneurship journey will be. Um, so I do think that, you know, there is something we can learn from the millennial generation, right, on how do you prioritize our mental health first? And one of the programs, some of the work that I do is also helping prepare therapists to be um, their own business owners. Again, when I came out of grad school, I did not have a model of how to do that. And one of the first sessions um, I ask is around, you know, are you ready to be an entrepreneur? And a big part of that is your your self-care. What is your self-care plan? What is going to be your self-care routine? Um, Because again, and I'm learning from my own journey, (laughs) like it's from my own journey, like the sleep piece, right? So how are we taking care of our sleep? And for me, I have always been a night owl and just getting into this entrepreneur journey more I see how like I could stay up really long hours and not kind of prioritize that mental, that going to sleep and, and seeing that, that impact. Um, and so like sleep for me is like one of the biggest things. And if I don't sleep, I'm grumpy, mm-hmm. but it's also my first sign of stress. So really helping, um, entrepreneurs really understand like, what are your stress points? How do you typically handle stress? And what is the plan that you're going to put in place to ensure that one that you recognize that um, if you have a partner, they may be giving you subtle or not so subtle messages, like you need to go take care of yourself. <laughs> like you're not being right right now, right? We're fortunate to have that partner or, or maybe coworkers who can like give us that check because sometimes we lose that perspective about how we're really doing. Yeah. Um, so I think having that insight and, and really being intentional and, and setting out, okay, this is going to be an important part of my my business journey is like part of being attending, attending to my mental wellness and to my self-care. Yeah. So um, that is something that I've really emphasized with clients. Yeah. So you're helping them sort of build this like, you know, red flag warning list, right? Of like, here are the things that I can, do you find that's different for, for each person when they sit down and think about it? They're like, you know, this is the, you know, it's, it might be sleep for one of us. It might be something else for, they, they end up kind of making their own list that they, they take back. Yes, for sometimes. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, for sure. And part of it is not even like the red flag is like, what are you putting in as part of your daily routine? Right. It's not Mm because when you get to the flag, then it's kind of too late. (laughs) Right. So what are the things that you're going to put in? And we know like some days you're going to fall off and some days, but you just get back on. But, But what are the basic things that you need? to perform and to be well. Yeah. Um, and for some people it's sleep, for some people it's their eating, um, for some people it's community, like, you know, how, who, who's around them, you know, that social aspect of it. Um, for some people it's exercise, right? So those are some of the core things. For others is their spiritual spiritual um, health and spiritual 
um, connection. Um, so we all connection to nature. So yeah. we all have different things and it's really about helping people identify what works for them and what's going to be important for them. Yeah. Yeah. I really identify with the community piece and I've, I've felt it in times in, in my life, um, you know, several years ago where I was working from my home office and I had like a really nice home office set up and it was kind of the beginning of virtual work, maybe around like 2010, 2011, 2012. And I just had this realization one day that I like haven't seen other humans outside of my family in person mm. in, in a long, long time. And I, I just set a very simple goal at that time, which was that, um, it, it was just kind of a silly explanation or description, but it was very short. It just said, um, go out in public <laughs> at least once a day. <laughs> so I would count even like going and waiting in line at a coffee shop for 10 minutes. Cause I was just like around other people for just right. a few minutes. And, right. and this last year with COVID, I think we've all, we've all experienced this, whether we wanted to or not, right. Where there's, there, there was probably a month where we didn't see people outside of our family, mm -hmm. if not longer mm -hmm. over the last right. year. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important. And, you know, that was something for me as well. Um, that I could get so focused on the business and, and not prioritize social time. Yeah. Um, right. It's almost like an inconvenience to have to go hang out with people. <laughs> but then when I go, I'm like, oh my God, this is so great. Like I really needed this. Right. And so really being honest with what you need and what helps you to, you know, kind of release and let go. Um, it's so important, but we have to do that inner work first to know like what works for me. Like I can't come in and tell you, Aaron, you need to do this, right? You have to kind of know what's going to work for you. Yeah. Yeah. I found one of the underlying things for me is I like, when I get really, I don't want to quite use the word obsessed, but let's say overcommitted and overfocused on work. <laughs> um, <laughs> slightly obsessed with it from time to time as I'm, you know, building a product or designing something or something that I'm really excited about. I find that like that level of excitement gets me a little addicted. Like I want more of that. And even though mm -hmm. I love spending time with mm -hmm. my kids or with other friends, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I understand that joy less, right? I have to go back and experience it to re-understand it. But like, you know, something as simple as like product testing might be so exciting to me. So I would just sit here and spend time right. doing that instead of the other things I, I need to do. Is there, is there kind of a, yeah, component to that? It's weird. It's, it's, it's kind of like the reward system gets a little bit switched in my own mind. And when I think about it, I go, I don't really want to hang out with my friends right now. This is really, really fun and really, really exciting. And then to your point, I go hang out with my friends and I'm like, this is what I needed. What have I been doing, you know, hiding in my. <laughs> yeah. 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 But right. It's that um, that adrenaline that gets going when you're close to like the end or you're like you're yeah. on the brink of solving it. Um, there's a lot of of joy and anticipation in that. It's like watching a horror movie, right? You can't tear yourself away. You want to see what's going to happen, even though you know, yeah. right? But it's yeah. so like that, but there is a lot of joy that comes from that. There's a lot of positive hormones that particularly if it's working out, right? Or if it's not too, I think like sometimes when you are having a challenge with it, it's like, okay, I got to finish it, right? I got to finish it. Yeah. If I yeah. take five minutes away, like it's, I'm going to start over or something, right? So we can definitely get in that cycle. Um, and it's so important to have something that pulls you away because it, it's that balance, right? It's finding that balance, right? Um, and knowing that that balance is important. Yeah. Yeah. I, I fall 
victim to that that challenge that problem that delusion all the time where i tell myself i'm almost done i'm just gonna finish it <laughs> like i am easily 90 yeah. percent plus done right and then it ends up taking yeah. all the time i've spent already to actually finish it right is that complete delusion that i'm just you know it's right there it's right there my kids are dad when are you gonna be done with work oh like 30 more minutes and then four hours later i'm still nowhere close to being done yeah <laughs> it's so hard to make right 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 yeah. right right so along the lines of, of entrepreneurs and mental health challenges, one of the things you and I have talked about is uh, what we could do to get ahead of impending crises. The, the Founders First When to Help campaign that we ran, I think it was back in December of last year, we surveyed a bunch of entrepreneurs about when they themselves came to a crisis point in their lives. And uh, the goal was that the, our findings would help others see the signs so they can take steps mm -hmm. to avoid getting to that difficult moment themselves. In your experience, what do you see as the signs of a coming crisis? Not maybe not just for entrepreneurs, but for anyone. Like, what, what can we do to help others if we see those signs too? You mentioned like it might be the the partner in, in business or in life that looks at us <laughs> and says we're not in a good place. Like, if we're that person, what can we what can we do to help the entrepreneur or the person in crisis? Yeah, I, you know, for um, for signs and and I think some of the the most um, I would say maybe the most common um, mental health conditions that we might see for entrepreneurs or people in general or depression and anxiety. Those are the two top um, diagnoses that, that we see people struggling with. Um, so some of the early signs, it's really, you know, some of the telltale signs are, you know, changes in your behavior, changes in your mood, um, changes in your sleeping, eating habit, um, habits. Um, so those are often, and then the social withdrawal. So those are sometimes the signs. Um, when it tips over into something that's more clinical from a mental health perspective is then it disrupts your, your regular, your daily function. And so you're not able to make it to work or you're, you're, um, you know, showing up for work late um, or you're, you're missing work, you're staying in bed. I think for the entrepreneur, um, sometimes it's just you. So you have to be the one who's accountable or, or, or watching for those signs, right? Yeah. It's different if you're reporting to some other boss and you're not showing up um, for work. So I think it can be a little tricky for entrepreneurs, but we know like when we have a, maybe there's a deadline that we keep missing, right? Or we're not, we're not keeping up on top of our deadlines. Yeah, Those are some signs um, for, for folks who are um, entrepreneurs, I would say. But though, again, it's part of that changes in behavior, changes in mood, um, and not being able to engage or, or, or complete kind of those daily life tasks. Sometimes for people, it's getting a shower, brushing your teeth, right? Um, so those are some ways that we can know it when, you know, you can know for yourself or for a colleague um, if things may not be on the right track. Yeah, that's super helpful. I and mean, we've seen some... Um... You know, some others around the kind of front side of addiction that that we see as well. I think, you know, the common ones around stimulant abuse and um, and alcohol and, and mm -hmm. other types of numbings, opioids in some cases. But, um, the, you know, the stories of folks in our programs that that share that, you know, it was it was unbearable until they started, you know, drinking half a bottle of wine at 9 a.m. before they got on their first Zoom call. Right. And then that made it a little better and it made it a little easier to get right. through the day. And, following that path instead of a, a path um, back to back to recovery and health again is is a common one we've seen and that's um it's it's interesting I think this uh, this idea of like 
performance enhancing drugs maybe comes from, you know, the, the sports world and other places of you know, where high performers, mm. you know, think about the maybe the use of any type of prescription medication to try and do our jobs better, you know, would be would be banned mm. if this were the NFL or would be banned if this were the Olympics. Um, I think sometimes that, right. that kind of stigma carries over into mental health and entrepreneurship where people go, well, I don't, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't feel comfortable talking to a psychiatrist or talking to someone about medication that might help me in this case, because, you know, like that's, that's just kind of like a, a no-go zone. We don't do that, but it's socially acceptable to have a couple of drinks or to pop a couple of pills that help mm -hmm. with this and that and, uh, and, and get back to work again. Um, right. Is that something you've seen among, among entrepreneurs and, or others? Yeah, for sure. And um, that, you know, again, that stigma, and I see it a lot with people who are in high performing industries, um, high achieving people who are type A themselves, right? Is mm -hmm. that, you know, mental health is seen as a sign of weakness. And so to either admit that you're struggling or to have uh, a mental health condition can be a real blow to a person's ego or a sense of self or their identity, right? Like I am not a person who gets sick. I am not a person who has depression or anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. So we have those, um, that mindset or those, those um, narratives that we tell ourselves, it's really hard to admit or have that insight when there are um, challenges that we're facing. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. The, this this sort of idea that the high performers that we know around us, that we see from the outside, that none of them have these issues and have ever had these issues and have never had to ask for help. Right? There's right. somehow this like this default belief out there. Right. What what do you what do you think is actually the truth behind that of, of high high performers that we see? You know, what percentage of them are, have a therapist? Do you think? Or you know, I'm asking an unanswerable question, I guess. But you know. Not zero, right? Is is I think what we've all seen. Right, right. And I, you know, I think hopefully we're getting to a place where people are starting to feel more comfortable in sharing their journeys, right? I think oftentimes, you know, when we see people's success stories, we don't see the hardship, right? We see them, oh, they just, they're just, they're overnight success. Yeah. No, I've been working this for a long time and I've had my own challenges. We're often not quick to talk about our struggles, right? Mm -hmm. Or the things that, you know, we've kind of encountered along the way or setbacks, right? Mm -hmm. How many of us want to show up and talk about, you know, all the times you failed before this one business succeeded? Yeah. Um, that's no fun to the story, <laughs> right? So I think it, it kind of perpetuates that narrative is that, you know, you're this overnight success or like you, you know, you've just been, you know, you know, hitting the pavement and, and everything has worked out well. Yeah. So I think the more that we can start to share our the full story, right? The whole story, the whole truth in a sense of what our journeys have been. And I think organizations like what you're doing, that's making it like normalizing that conversation is so important. And then people are like, okay, like I can talk about this. There's a community of people. I'm not the only one who's feeling this, right? Because a part of it, you know, for entrepreneurs, many of them are in isolation as well. So mm -hmm. it can be really easy to believe that the narrative is like, it's just you um, or it's just me that is failing. So I think when we have communities and when people share their stories, mm. it's really important to change those narratives. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I, I make all these references back to the sports world because I feel like in some of the kind of like high performing, like physical pursuits and even elite military, a lot of this stuff is more acceptable and, and more understood, at least on the inside. Maybe they don't share those secrets with the world. But, you know, we hear right. about like 
Tiger Woods got a new, you know, golf coach to help his swing and it took two years to get it changed to the new thing, but now it's totally dialed in and we all look at that and go like, well, wow, isn't that person smart for finding an elite coach that helped them make a change that they want to make and help them in an area where they were struggling. Yeah. You know, so those are the stories that I, that I as well want to see in in the media and in the news, right? Mm -hmm. These CEOs Mm -hmm. and founders and their company hits a billion dollars and they realize they're not in a place where they need to be. I want to hear the story about the emotional coach, the therapist they hired that came in and got them back on track again and helped them. And those stories, um, they're starting to come out. I think they'll more in the years ahead, but I'm with you. Like, that's what I want to read about. Right. Those stories. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, again, dispelling that shame around, you know, talking to a therapist or talking about our emotions, right. Yeah. The more that we can dispel that, the better we, we can be for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned isolation and many things about the past couple of years have been difficult for for all of us from COVID and lockdowns and the economy and then also to watching really horrible events unfold in front of our eyes on television that somehow have managed to to further divide us instead of bringing us together. It's sort of been this perfect storm of of bad things uh, and we're still a little Mm -hmm. shell-shocked and trying Mm -hmm. to figure out how to make sense of it. We haven't been able to do the things we normally do to feel grounded, as we were talking about before, seeing friends, connecting with people, being social, or even in some cases, just leaving our houses. You, you've spent a lot of time focusing on how we can mm-hmm. respond from COVID from a mental health perspective. So how do we focus on our mental wellness during a crisis like COVID? And what steps can we take to make sure we're resilient enough to face such a prolonged challenge? This isn't just a day or a week. At least this one's been a year. And oh, my gosh. Right. And. <laughs> Right. And, you know, we talked definitely in my in my training, we talked about trauma and, you know, experiencing crises. We never talked about a pandemic crisis. Right. Or stress, like something that's ongoing that never kind of ends. Um, And so this is really, really um, important. And as we kind of await this trial of the, you know, George Floyd, you know, um, Chauvin, um, that trial and what the impact of that is going to be on the society again, right? How divided we are. Um, But, you know, kind of thinking about what the, you know, the racial conversation, the conversation about race in, in this, in our entrepreneurship journeys and inclusion in business, right? These are all relevant conversations that we've had to have, um, so, yeah, it's a lot. So in terms of what can you do that you're looking to me for some advice here? All right. Let me try to give how, you how do we dig in for the long run here. Yeah, this is yeah, how do we get through that here? Right? Yeah. And then more. Yeah. Or the next month, the next yeah, week. I know. So, you know, I really, really tapped into mindfulness strategies and it's something that I really promote um, for clients. And, you know, they're really and sometimes very simple. And I love that because. It doesn't mean someone has to go do something that's out of their their um, realm of experience, right? There are things that we can actually do in our day-to-day life. So, um, and I'm sure your audience is familiar with mindfulness, but I'm going to do a quick tutorial. So mindfulness really holds on to three tenets. Um, uh, your breath connected to relaxation, being present focused, and also having a, a non-judgmental or compassionate um, view of self. Hmm. 
And so those are strategies that I work with clients. You know, you can be anxious and relaxed at the same time. <laughs> you can be present focused and worried about the past or the future at the same time. So that's why I think mindfulness strategies are beautiful. And for entrepreneurs, I think they're excellent, right? Because we're often like worrying about the future, right? Worrying about the next, um, the next partnership or the next... Yeah. Um, the next sale. So how we stay grounded in the moment is really been helpful. So strategies that I talk about a lot are gratitude, right? Um, how do we show appreciation for what we do have in the moment? Um, so starting and ending your day, listen three, two to three things you're grateful for. Mm -hmm. That allows you to start your day without worrying about the next thing, right? It just allows you to stay present, um, and ending your day with gratitude also allows you to stay present and not worry about the to-do list or what you have to get done tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I think it's a great way to, to end your day and, and fall asleep. Um, I've gotten into talk about quality. I've gotten into body scans. Um, those are really, really helpful as a way to relax, you know, kind of turn off the mind and all the sparring that we might have during the day mm -hmm. and just kind of drop into our bodies, listening to our bodies, tapping into that. Um, the others, what other strategies I would say? Um, I love journaling. So that's something I often recommend to folks, whether it's writing, whether it's audio or visual, you know, talking, you know, doing shows like this. These are great ways to be able to reflect um, for yourself. So I think those are really great strategies. Um, I also really talk to clients about um, just the idea of the mind-body connection. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that our bodies and our minds are intricately connected and that anything that we're stressed about shows up in our bodies first, hmm. right? So your body is your sign. So if you're tuned into your body, you're going to know, oops, that's my, that's a sign of stress. Well, I'm going to have to do something about that. So really, and for me, it's been like getting outdoors, walking, connecting to nature. Mm -hmm. I go for walks now. I don't even have my, I don't listen to music. I'm just tapping into the natural sounds and connecting to what I'm seeing, admiring the garden. So yeah. tapping into that five senses, right? Present focus means that you're listening, you're, you're the five senses, right? Sounds, <laughs> sound, sight, um, touch, um, yeah. taste, smell, right? Yeah. So as I'm walking and I don't, yeah, and I don't miss it. I don't feel like I've lost anything at all, at all when I'm in nature walking. So those are some things that I really are my go-tos for, for clients. Um, we also talk about affirmations. So finding quotes that you like or, or just phrases that for you affirm you, particularly in those really hard days, right? Um, so I love connecting with quotes and I use those throughout my day that help me keep going. Yeah. So that the third part you mentioned around mindfulness was... Uh, well, that's such a wake-up call for me hearing that, the, the self-compassion part of that, right? I hear from entrepreneurs and type A people all the mm -hmm. time, like, mm -hmm. you know, meditation makes it worse for me, right? I sit there and I judge my thoughts or I'm frustrated that I'm not doing it right. And uh, mm. as you said that, it kind of occurred to me, that's mm -hmm. what's missing in, in, the, in that situation. When we bring our type A selves into yes. it, like meditation, we cannot sit there and criticize <laughs> whether we're absolutely <laughs> nailing it or not. That is not going to help, right? That, that judging voice. Right. Right. And that's the whole point. Yeah. That's the whole point is like, you were going to have those thoughts. We are going to have those thoughts and rather than try to control 
control them or like let them go away, you know, try to fight them. It's like, okay, there you are. And then like, Mm -hmm. there you go. So part of it is that kind of visualizing that, you know, having the thought we have them, we're not going to fight them and just let it pass. So, and meditation is, yeah, my husband is big on meditation and it's not necessarily my Mm go-to, but uh, it's really about your mind will wander. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just about bringing your mind back. Right. So that happens. Right. We try. I think people have this notion, like you're just going to sit there for five minutes and you're not going to think, yeah, you're going to think about all kinds of things. Right. Cause the minute that you're like quiet, yeah. all the other things you have to do are going to come flooding. <laughs> yeah. I also personally think it's just fascinating that we cannot guess what thought we're going to have next. Like that still just hurts my head to think about, right. That these <laughs> things just sort of, I mean, that's one of the things that's so interesting about meditation to me is I I'd sometimes like have a little laugh about it. Like where the heck did that thought just come from? Like, you know, like, right, right, I could have never right, guessed in a million right. years I'd be thinking about, you know, the shoes I wore in fourth grade, but for some reason I'm thinking about it right now. And then, and then I let it go and I try and kind of have a little laugh of just how absurd sometimes things are in, inside the old. Right. <laughs> Yeah, just, right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so to our guests, I've, I've just got a couple more questions for Dr. Jackman. So if you have a question you'd like to ask her, now's the time to drop it into uh, chat here in Zoom and we'll pick it up in, in just a second. So, all right. So another of your areas of expertise is around the issue of organizations supporting mental health and inclusion. As founders, some of us have been involved in pretty large companies and others are hoping to start them. Uh, we want to make sure that we take mm-hmm. theory to practice. So how can entrepreneurs create the structures and policies that make it clear that mental health and wellness is a priority for everyone inside of our companies? And, and where do we begin? Yeah, you know, it begins at the top, Aaron. And I hear um, CEOs, people in charge of HR, you know, um, or leaders in their organizations. They say, "Yeah, I tell my, I tell my um, my team members, um, you don't have to work on weekends. You don't have to answer emails on weekends, but they send emails on weekends. What do you think is going to happen? Right? Yeah. They're not listening to what you're saying. They're watching your behavior. So if there's something that you want to do and, and uh, it's a culture that you want to create for your team or your organization, you have to be the model for it. Because if you don't do it, they're not. They're following your example. And if you tell them that they don't have to work on weekends, but you send them an email on weekend on a weekend, then they feel like if they don't respond, that looks bad on them or that, you know, they don't look as they're committed to the job. So you really have to kind of walk that talk. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it makes me feel so guilty for how the way I led some of my companies in the past where I had this mentality that like, I felt like it was the leader's job to outwork everyone. And, and also I was a young entrepreneur and most of my employees mm-hmm. were older than me. And so I also was kind of had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder where I wanted to prove that I could work really hard and and, and do good work. Although, you know, after the mm-hmm. 22nd hour in a row, it probably wasn't good work anymore in reality. But, you know, I always wanted to be, you know, the first one in and the last one out. And, and honestly, I also kind of wanted to look like I was struggling because I was working so hard. And I think back on the, hopefully half of them knew that I was in a really bad place and didn't want to be anything like me and could make their own decisions. But the the other half, if they looked at me and, and, and thought that that's what was expected of them, I feel so guilty because I've been I've been that person that said I'm going to outwork everybody, not because I mm-hmm. want to prove that I'm better than them, because I want to prove that I'm worthy and equal to them and as good as them. And, and because I'm you know this entrepreneur that right. hasn't proven myself in the world yet. Yeah. 
right? Or you want success, right? You want to make sure that you run a successful company and that they keep their jobs and you don't have to fire anyone. I mean, like there are all these things that these messages that we have that play a role in how we lead. Um, But, you know, again, connected back to our earlier conversation, it's so important that we are mindful of like, People are more productive, right? They are actually going to give more when they are in a place, when they are healthy yeah. and they were, are, are able to work in an environment that's healthy as well. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So my takeaway from what you've just shared here is it's not, it's not about the big poster on the wall that says it's okay to be okay. And it's not about the HR policy on page 12 that says you can take a mental health day. It's really about how are we living our lives as the leaders of our organizations? That's what people are going to see. That's what right, they're going to follow. Right, That's right. how we can help ourselves and, and help them. Right. Yeah. Thank you for that. For sure. And number of hours does not mean productivity, right? Like you could yeah. spend 20 hours at the job and still like, you know, only get half the, of what you're supposed to get done, done in that day. So yeah. also Maybe. looking at that measure, right? You often measure like number of hours as like, okay, you worked a hopeful day, but did you really? Yeah. Yeah. I think some of the general workplace studies around this are that, you know, above about 50 hours productivity start 50 hours a week, productivity starts to drop off and above 60, Mm -hmm. there is effectively zero gain per additional hour. So I know that's hard probably for some of us entrepreneurs to believe, but that's, that's the general data. And even if it feels Mm -hmm. like we're having a moment of brilliance in the moment, we might be getting ready to have a moment of collapse instead, actually. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. All right. So I often wrap with a final question for our guests focused on what advice they would give founders specifically. So since you're both a therapist and a founder, my question is, what personal advice would you give to someone just getting started as an entrepreneur? Can we make our journeys easier with preparation or are we inevitably just in for it if we choose this path? No, you know, and I, you know, I am early in the entrepreneurship game, um, but, I, you know, as, as I said, I've seen my mom be an entrepreneur. And I think that, you know, for you, for anyone starting now, then I wish someone had said it to me when I was starting out is that your self-care is important and, you know, getting eight hours of sleep is important. You're actually going to feel better. You're going to be more productive. So, you know, sleep is one you can hear me talk about a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think if you have though that self-care in mind first, that things will fall into place. And, you know, the journey, it's a journey, right? So there are going to be always bumps that you encounter along the way, right? Mm-hmm. You're not, there's nothing that can prepare you for everything on your journey, yeah. right? But it's how you are able to respond? How are you in terms of your own self-care, your own soul care that can help you be able to face those challenges? The challenges are going to be there regardless, but it's how you're able to respond and navigate those. It's actually going to be telling about how your success as an entrepreneur. I love that. Yeah. I, I like to think about it as like, we've got two levers we can play around with as an entrepreneur. We can reduce the amount of stress we're under, which kind of just means like how hard we're charging and how big our goals are, or we can build our ability to be resilient to stress. And it's, right. you know, one of those two probably has to move. And as entrepreneurs, we often don't like to lower our goals. And right. so I say, you know, maybe the obvious answer is, is what you've shared with us here today, which is to build those skills for resilience so that we can we can, you know, face the, the dragon that's hiding around the next corner because we know it's going to be there because we're in this right. life as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. And I, the other thing I would add to that, Aaron, is like it's not um, 
like, you know, sometimes you end up doing more or you get stressed out or you're not tapping into your self-care plan. Like, but starting the next day, right? It's not, you know, if you miss one day, like that doesn't mean the whole week is gone, like getting back on it. Um, and I think for me, that's been really helpful. Um, and kind you know, the way that I try to organize my schedule, I try to really now, you know, not double book things, do things back to back. I was like that, like on the get maximizing, you know, every hour in the day. And I'm like, that's not helping me. Mm. Um, so giving myself a little bit of breath has actually helped me. I feel good. I feel much better when I sleep and wake up rested and I'm not tired or forgetful. So I think it's really, you know, really understanding how you operate. What's your optional, optimal level? You know, what does that look like for you? What does that feel like for you yeah. and really being honest uh, and, and and giving yourself that gift to do that what's good for you yeah that's incredible dr jackman thank you for sharing your insights with us uh, these are such important issues especially right now i'm going to turn to our audience for some questions we've got a bunch coming in here so uh, let's just jump right to uh, amanda first so amanda said amazing work why is it so important to some people to find a therapist with a similar background and gender what questions can people ask to find a good fit in a therapist that's a great question yeah that's great and that you know yeah i think what um i think it's really important people want choice right i think historically so psychologists make up about Black psychologists make up about 4% of all psychologists. I think we were put BIPOC therapists make up about, I would say about 12%. Okay. So I think people want a choice. Um, and for me, it was important to have a Black therapist, right? I wanted someone who kind of understood kind of my journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't mean that every Black therapist is going to be a good fit for me, right? So, um, which I'm glad Amanda's question, you know, what are the questions you can ask? How do you determine that if this is a good fit for me? Um, And some of the questions I ask, and I actually wrote a blog about this as well, but some of the questions I ask, you know, what's your experience working with say I'm a black Caribbean woman with black Caribbean women. What is your experience working with women in entrepreneurship, right? Um, what, how do you help your clients um, achieve their goals, right? Really talking about their process. Are you someone who's more quiet in session? Or are you more active? So, you know, again, for people who are maybe not sure what that might look like, uh, most insurance companies allow you to go visit a couple of therapists to see, kind of test out, kind of like a test drive mm-hmm. to see which one will be a good fit for you. And I think it's really important to do that. Sometimes people think, well, I have to go with the first person that I get on the phone, right? Because maybe you've been looking for a person for three months. So you're like, I'm going to try to make this work. But if you find that the process, it's not working, you're not dealing with the person. It's okay to like, you know, to say to them, like, I don't think this is working. Here's what I need. Or to tell them, like, I don't think this is working and I'd like to find somebody else. Um, some people might help you connect back to people in their network. Um, but I think for people, I always want them to know, like, because you and a therapist didn't click, it doesn't mean that therapy didn't work. It just meant that you that relationship with that person wasn't a good fit. Um, and it might be frustrating to have to go look again, but I encourage people to do that. To, you know, it's kind of like dating. It's like, you know, you know, every everyone's not going to be a good match for you, but finding your match is important. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's an important relationship. And, you know, I found myself in, in my relationship and conversations with my therapist, like, you know, being even even after we worked together for months, still being uncomfortable sharing things that are that are really, really deep. And like any relationship, we don't right. jump into those things in, in day one, usually and say, let me lay it all out there. I can just share from my experience that I've um you know, like uh, it, it took time for me to want to be able to really dig into the real issues with with my therapist as well. And mm -hmm. part of that's, you know, probably just building trust that, that it's right. OK to have these conversations because sometimes they really don't feel natural to sit down on a couch and just start sharing this with somebody even when it's a professional. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, if the therapist, again, like finding somebody who works with you, I remember having a client who we had a, a brief cons phone consult and she said something and I just started laughing because it was so funny she's like oh good you have a sense of humor i think this is going to work right so that was her test for me like does this person have a sense of humor so i think being honest about what's going to work for you and you know again again you know as a therapist and hopefully most therapists are like this we know like it's you know it's gonna take a little bit to kind of find that match and i try to be very open with people that i'm meeting for the first time about my practice and my process and how i how i kind of see therapy and how it works you know what they get when they're working with me so that gives them information about whether this might be a good fit for them or not yeah that's super super helpful i love that all right. Next question is from Sean. So Sean said, as a new business owner, started in October of 2020. God bless you, Sean. Amazing. <laughs> in the middle of COVID. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mental health care uh, was was already a focus uh, of his prior to launching. Um, it's fascinating to think that he might want to work with someone who understands entrepreneurs and understands how entrepreneurs speak. Um, he said, thank you for your focus on this critical area and then help, can help make people better and healthier entrepreneurs. Uh, his question is, how do you help business owners with depression or anxiety coming into a business to manage their mental health in those in those early years of a business when it's still mm -hmm. ramping up? Uh, I think we we all probably expect that the first six to 12 to 18 months of starting a business, maybe even the first four years are going to be particularly miserable. How do we how do we try and manage anxiety and depression in the midst of that? Yeah, I definitely think um, really understanding, like, you know, definitely we are people with different um, aspects of our functioning. So if you're someone who you know is prone to um, depression and anxiety, it may be helpful to connect with a therapist ahead of time, maybe even someone, a uh, psychiatrist or someone who uh, uh, prescribes medications to help with that. Because, you know, again, the anxiety is likely going to be really high. So kind of being proactive about that. Um, and, you know, if you're open to medication as uh, as a, as a option to help manage the anxiety in, in those really intense times that might be helpful. It might be a PRN, right? As you need, you may not need to take it every day, but you might be able to take it when you notice you're not sleeping or um, just anxiety is debilitating and not allowing you to function. But I really appreciate, you know, your question because it's really, again, about really that insight into like, um, what, what are my strengths and what are my areas of challenge? Mm -hmm. How do I manage stress? Like, I think, you know, every entrepreneur 
whether they're starting or they're already, you know, far in the journey, really need to ask themselves that question, like, how do I manage stress? What are my early signs of stress? What are the things that I'm going to do day to day to help me feel good that are going to bring me joy that help kind of balance that out? Mm -hmm. Um, It's really important because, again, you know, like you said, that you know, entrepreneurship, there are lots of joys, right? We're, you know, the thing is working, our, we're getting that excitement, but we know it's a journey, right? And so there are going to be bumps along the way and really being prepared for those bumps. Like, how do I navigate those? How to make sure that I'm doing what I can do to uh, mitigate the impact of those stressful situations, I think is really important. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, again, it, Sorry. And again, in in addition to like, again, just, you know, therapist or business coach, having that community, like I love, I have like three or four accountability circles right now, but it's great because I'm talking entrepreneurs, like we're talking the same language, you know, we're each maybe hidden um, challenging points, but there are other people who've been through those and they can help me out, right? They can help me navigate those things. So I think having a community of entrepreneurs is also really essential. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, particularly if you're on your own, it's really essential. Otherwise you can really get lost and spiral in those really challenging times. Yeah, I can share my experience with that very briefly. And that as someone who lives with anxiety, having prescription medication that I can use when I need it to help with anxiety reduces my anxiety the rest of the time by like 80%. Just knowing (laughs) that it's there if I need it and having an experience with how much it helps in the moment when I need it. So I kind of crassly like to say entrepreneurship's the only high performance world where performance enhancing uh, drugs are perfectly legal (laughs) and uh, obviously under the right supervision (laughs) with the right partner. um, There are ways that, that we can support ourselves when, when we need it. And, and personally, it's been a big part of my life and it keeps me in a high performance zone way more than I would be if, mm-hmm. if I didn't mm-hmm. have that as one of the tools that I use. And so thanks for that. sharing that because there are people who may not be open to sharing that and hearing you share that and be open about that will allow people to be like, oh, okay, that's something you think about. Yeah, yeah. All right, our last question here from Shelby. Dr. Jackman, are you willing to share um, some of the affirmations you use on a daily basis? All right, we're wrapping up here. Let's do one. What's your favorite affirmation that you like to use? You got this. <laughs> like I said unto myself, you got this. You can do it, right? Um, but I do have, I have a lot of Maya Angelou quotes. In the struggle lies the joy. Mm. She says that one, and I, I love that one a lot. Um, another one I use, is, it's a little bit longer, but um, she's, it goes, um, my mission in life is not merely to survive, but to thrive mm-hmm. and to do so with some passion, some compassion, some humor and style. And so those are words that just keep me going. I actually created a whole card deck that really speaks around mindfulness. And it has lots of quotes in there because I, I again, I truly believe in quotes and, you know, other people's experiences kind of allow me to a lift, a lift and affirm me as well. Yeah. But my, my go-to one is you got this girl. You got you this. Got this. <laughs> speaking of, speaking of the, the cards that you've created, where can folks who are listening find that? It's on your website, right? It's on the, yes, Um And we are redesigning, but they're finding my sweet spot. We're redesigning to my time to thrive. Um, it's really about really giving people access to tools. They're built on mindfulness strategies. And really the goal is, you know, we all need to thrive. And man, this last year and a half, like we need it. 
more than ever. We need it more than ever. Yeah. Absolutely. Dr. Jackman, thank you so much again for your time. We're so very glad you joined us. And we'll post this discussion in our community where many more entrepreneurs will be able to appreciate it in the coming weeks and months. So thank you for having me. This was great. Thank you. Thank you for joining us at Founders First. This conversation continues in the Founders First community. Search Founders First community in the App Store on your phone to learn how to prioritize your health and wellness to become more successful. Get your questions answered by top entrepreneurs and receive notifications about upcoming shows. Until next time, stay healthy, be at your best, go change the world.